All right, everyone, welcome to this week's Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. As always, plenty of track action to discuss. Biggest story of the week didn't happen on the track, though. Christian Coleman facing a possible suspension for three whereabouts failures. We will talk all about that. We've got a recap of the Paris Diamond League, which saw American Hannah Green take the victory in the 800. We'll talk about the British and Kenyan championships that were held last week, and we will preview the first of two Diamond League finals in Zurich, including the last ever men's Diamond League 5,000 meters. I am joined by Weldon Johnson. He is back from vacation. Robert Johnson is on vacation this week, so it's just a two-man show once again. But Weldon, happy to have you here. Uh, Excited to talk some track. Glad to be back. I'm sure the ratings will be up this week with me replacing Rojo. I mean, who skips out on the Diamond League final week? I think this sort of shows who's the brains behind this operation here. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's interesting. I would love to see a comparison of the ratings. Robert's always saying he's the most controversial man in track and field, that everyone listens to this podcast for his controversial opinions. Does that mean one of us has to step it up and you know throw some conspiracies out there this week? Well, then. Transgender talk coming up, John. You didn't, you didn't hype that up in the intro. You got to do that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, then before we get to, I think we should start with Coleman, but before we do, do you want to plug a sponsor really quick? Yes, John. Floydsofleadville.com. If you need certified CBD products, go to floydsofleadville.com, enter code RUN2019. They have tinctures, creams. They haven't even have a recovery drink, which we're giving away for our thread of the week. We'll talk about that later when we talk about one of the major teams that won't be at the Zurich Diamond League, the Barrowman Track Club, but voidthewebville.com for certified CBD products. And since they are giving away their recovery drink, I think we should send it to Robert because Robert said he's never tried the Floyd's products. Yeah, all right. That'll be waiting when Robert gets back from vacation. So anyway, Christian Coleman, let's start with that. It has been reported Matt Lawton of the Daily Mail broke the story and USADA subsequently confirmed it that Christian Coleman will be facing a hearing for three whereabouts failures. One of Two of them were USADA tests, and one of them was an AIU test. And so there's a little bit of disagreement about jurisdiction. They ultimately said USADA is going to be presiding over the case. There will be an arbitration hearing on September 4th, and that will determine Christian Coleman's fate, whether he gets a ban of two years, one year, or no ban at all. We've heard, Addo Bolden has reported, I've had a source tell me as well, separately, that they think he has a pretty good chance of fighting this off, but we haven't really heard specifics exactly what happened, what caused the mix-up here. Well, I'm interested, though. This rumor started percolating last week on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, it was spreading like wildfire. I had people reaching out to me, have you heard about this? What do you know? I was trying to confirm it. Matt Lawton got the story. How did you hear about it, and how did you react to the news when you heard it? Yeah, I was in vacation in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming, and I think you guys texted me. I think you texted me, and I was like, wow. And so I was kind of curious you know, who your source was, and you told me. And then it's sort of interesting how this stuff gets out, and I was like, okay, who's going to really confirm this? And everybody was certain it was coming out. And then Matt Lawton of the Daily Mail, those guys, you know, the Daily Mail, I love my Daily Mail app, but it's sort of got, the Daily Mail has got sort of interesting reputation in the news world, but they're sort of like little bulldogs. And Matt Lawton's won, I think he's won UK Sports Person of the Year a couple of times. So I don't know how he gets to go ahead to verify it and publish it, but it, it came out and... 
So now we don't know exactly what's happening. Still a lot of details haven't come out. Coleman hasn't put any details out. Since I was gone, I wasn't looking into it. And now I'm seeing this thing on Let's Run and people are talking about John Drummond, who's in theory banned from the sport, how his Facebook post really defends Coleman and you know it's going to show that he'll be vindicated. And I'm like, well, if that's what you have right now is the leading defense, it's kind of nuts. But I can see why Coleman's camp stay quiet if you have something to defend you, let it come out at the arbitration hearing and let's go from there. But at this point, I feel like it's pretty much speculation except for what Otto Bolden has said that he's confident maybe that he'll be clean, cleared. You've heard a source saying that they think maybe he'll possibly be cleared. Essentially, for drug testing, every athlete now is required to give a one-hour window and, and you'll be there in that one-hour window. And I guess it depends on how much leeway somebody gets. Like, let's say the tester shows up, you're five minutes awake. You know, is there any leeway there? Testers can also show up outside of that hour window. And you're, you're, I assume you're supposed to also sort of give them where you're going to be during the day. But you have more leeway outside of that one-hour window. So it'll be interesting. You saw it as pretty good at, I think, releasing the facts of what comes out. So I, I want to, for the integrity of the sport, we need a ruling and some transparency. Yeah, I agree. The Two things strike me as fairly interesting about this case. One, Coleman's only public comments on this were made to Addo Bolden. He hasn't released a statement. He's gone totally silent on his social media. And in that statement, he said, what has been widely reported concerning filing violations is simply not true. And I just don't see how that statement can be possible. USADA has confirmed they're going to arbitration with Coleman. They've said it's because of three whereabouts failures. Coleman can dispute one of the whereabouts failures, but to say that the reports are not true, that's not true. So I disagree with him there. The other thing is to me, okay, even if you're disputing one of the final findings, to get even two whereabouts failures as the fastest 100-meter runner in the world, the Olympic 100-meter favorite, is almost inexcusable. I mean, once you get one, okay, everyone, I've heard athletes say that they've get whereabouts failures you know there's a miscommunication they forgot they were going to be a certain place and they forgot to update it fine one happens i can accept that but once you get one that's a real warning sign okay i gotta be super careful i don't get another you know just on top of it every day and then once you get two again you should not be getting two the fastest 100 meter runner in the world should not be getting two but once you get two that should be the number one priority in your life should be setting your whereabouts and making sure that's exactly where you are and not only your life but your agent's life too. Emmanuel Hudson, I mean, who is the who, which client of his is more important than Christian Coleman? He's going to win the Olympic 100 meters next year if he's still competing and healthy. How are you not calling this guy up every night and just saying, hey, Christian, did you set your whereabouts? So it's kind of crazy to me that it even got to this position. But again, I want to wait until the hearing to see exactly what Coleman's explanation is for all of this. I guess, John, the skeptics would say, oh yeah, there's a reason you're not showing up, right? But I think this type of... If it does stay on his record, uh, I guess it's a drug positive, but it's not a drug test positive. I think it's the better one to have. The suspensions one can be, the normal suspension for this is two years instead of four. It can be reduced a lot of instances to one year. But in Coleman's case, the one-year suspension is not going to help him much, right? He would still miss the Olympics, for every, or at least the trials, which means he misses the Olympics. So he's screwed if this thing comes down reputationally wise even if he's cleared now people are always gonna this mark will always be there right i mean i guess he wouldn't be convicted of a crime but he would have been charged with one and 
I don't know, we're human beings, right? People always think about, hey, why did, was he missing those tests? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Even if he's cleared, even if he serves no ban, people are going to say, oh, remember that episode where he missed some tests? You know, Mo Farah, Mo Farah was never even charged with three whereabouts violations, but people know he missed some tests in his past, and his critics still call him out for that sort of thing, for missing tests, even though he never even got a whereabouts violation because he didn't miss three in 12 months. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting how his legacy is affected. Brianna Rollins McNeil, who's the Olympic 100-meter hurdles champion, she was banned for 2017 due to whereabouts failures. I don't really... I guess maybe we don't talk about the women's 100 hurdles as much as we do about the men's 100, but I feel like people don't really view her as a doper. But it's going to be interesting to see how how this changes public perception of Christian Coleman. I think Rollins' case shows that you can come from back from this, but... The women's 100-meter hurdles is very different than the men's 100 And I think you were the one who introduced me to this concept on the podcast a few weeks ago. Hanlon's razor. This would be his best defense. And Hanlon's razor says, Never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. So either <laughs> Coleman was evading a test for a reason or being, I guess his best defense was, look, I was really stupid. I just missed these things. So, I mean, or had a reason, whatever. But as you said, if I had two of those tests and I'm the world's fastest man in the world and I'm clean, I'm going to be freaking out. So, I don't know. It's just one of those things from the sport. <laughs> Obviously, I want Christian Coleman at the Worlds. I guess not if he's dirty. But if he's there and then there's all this talk about this test and whatnot, it's going to make a much more interesting men's 100-meter finals. Without Coleman, like, what... Like, turn to worlds for a bit in the 100. There's no Noah Lyles, so we're going to have Gatlin again? Like, holy crap. It's going to be Justin Gatlin. If there's no Christian Coleman, I mean, who do you have more faith in the rest of the world than Justin Gatlin? I, I don't think there's anyone. I, I would think Noah Lyles will actually get a preview. Both men are going to be racing the 100 in Zurich in the Diamond League final on, on Thursday. Well, it's not really a preview because Noah Lyles won't be running at Worlds. But if you look at the the world list this year... You've got Coleman way out in front at 981. But then after that, number two is Noah Lyles at 986. He's not running Worlds. Divino Daduru is not in the same form as when he ran 986 at NCAAs. Then it's Gatlin at 987. And those are the only guys under 99. And in terms of who do you trust at a major championship, I definitely trust, trust Justin Gatlin. I mean, I know 2015 he choked against Bolt, but he almost always delivers his best at the championships. He's good at, good through the rounds. He's consistent. He's solid. Even at 37, I think he's unquestionably the favorite if Gat, if uh, Coleman doesn't show up. It's crazy sort of where the men's 100 will be if Coleman isn't there. I mean, remember a couple of years ago, Andre de Grasse, Trayvon Brumel, Coleman, we had all these young guys. I mean, Coleman wasn't even in the picture. He was sort of behind those two guys. And now we're back to Justin Gatlin. So, Usain Bolt, hey, you know, kind of getting bored. Another soccer season started. I don't, I don't see you playing anywhere. You know, you got three weeks to get in shape. Yeah, well, no, I, I would say if it's Bolt, you don't have three weeks. You have a year to get in shape for Tokyo. Because if Coleman is banned for Tokyo, that thing's pretty much wide open. It's Gal. I'd actually say Lyles becomes the favorite for Tokyo. But all right, well then, sorry, uh, gun to your head. I want this answer. Does Christian Coleman run in Doha this year? What do you think? Wow. I'm just kind of pissed, so I'm going to say no. Oh, really? I, I think he does. I think he gets cleared. 
he probably does, but sort of, I'm kind of pissed at the guy and he, you know, he, he was giving you attitude at pre and stuff. And I'm just like, come on, dude, get your shit together. So I'm just kind of angry at him. So I'm like, yeah, I'll show him, but I actually won him at Worlds. So I just hope there's a good explanation for the sport and somehow he can be there. All right. Shall we move on to races that actually took place last week? Paris Diamond League, final regular season Diamond League meet of the year. They had a nice resurfaced blue track in this meet. I kind of enjoyed watching it uh, at the Stade Charlatie, which uh, has hosted the meet for a few years now since they moved out of the Stade de France. But I guess the big story from an American mid-D perspective, Hannah Green getting her first Diamond League win of the year and of her career, really impressive. I mean, Green, <laughs> we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast, how much did you know about Hannah Green before this year, Weldon? Almost nothing. I mean, I could tell you she went to Virginia Tech and she runs for the Oregon Track Club. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what most people would know about Hannah Green. She's 24 years old. I think most famously, she was just known for getting second repeatedly to Raven Rogers in the NCAA meet. I think she finished second like three times. So she was always good in college, but... If you look at her progression, she ran 201 in 2015 and then was pretty consistent 202 again the next year, 201 in 2017, two flat last year, and now 158. She's run 158 three different times in 2019, including 158.39 in Paris to get the win. It's an interesting race. It went out insanely fast. I think 55 mid. Chanel Price leading them out. And that's just, that's too quick for these women. I think most of them, I don't know if any of them, Natoya Goals run 156. So maybe if she's in that kind of shape, but even so, that's that's still pretty fast to go out in. And Raven Rogers was the one who was leading this for a long time, but she just totally ran out of steam at the end and Green timed it well. She went out a little bit more conservatively and she pulled down the outside to get the win. So big win for her. And she's clearly has to be a medal threat for Doha now. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, that race, you know, since I was on vacation, I saw the kind of replay of it. And so I was kind of fast forwarding to halfway through. And I'm like, I knew Hannah Green won it. And with 200 to go, she's in sixth place. I'm like, how the hell does she win this thing? I didn't realize they went out that hard. But I mean, it's only the second Diamond League uh, that she's ever run in her life. And she's winning it. It's pretty crazy, you know, how far she's come this year. And also... With this whole sort of intersex and I guess there's no point really to mix the transgender talk in there at all. But like the intersex women being banned right now from the 800, it really changes the event. And I think some of the Castor Semenya's proponents or whatever, they're like, oh, well, she doesn't. Who cares? Everybody just goes down, you know, moves down one spot. But we take out three intersex women, move everybody up three spots. I mean, there are real-life impacts. And if you're second in the world versus first, that's a huge difference. If you're fourth in the world versus third, that's a huge difference. But, you know, Hannah Green's got a huge medal shot. And it's just sort of, at at that level, every little thing makes a huge difference. Yeah, well, I mean, think about Melissa Bishop is always the one I think about. Well, R.J. Wilson, too, in terms of the women who had their careers impacted by the IWF changing the rules. Because she got a silver medal at the 2015 Worlds in Beijing. The next year, Melissa Bishop was fourth at the Olympics. The three women ahead of her are all currently banned because they're intersex. And then 
last year she was competitive. She she was a finalist in the World Championships in oh, sorry 2017. She was a finalist in the World Championships in London. She took 2018 off to have a baby and then announced uh, last week that she won't be competing anymore in 2019. She's shutting down her season. Her body, she has just. She said she's had some injuries. It's been difficult getting her body right after pregnancy, and she also didn't have the world championship standard, so it would have been tough for her to compete. But you know, you take out the three women from Rio, maybe she wins the Olympics, or maybe we, maybe RJ Wilson wins the Olympics. Because remember, in her semifinal heat, the two women in front of her were both intersex, and if Wilson's in the final. You know, based on how she's run, she set the American record. She ran 155 the following year. Maybe she wins the Olympic final and she wasn't even in that final. So obviously, this rule and how the IAAF and CAS has handled the situation, it's had a huge impact on the event. But now I think it's pretty clear to me, RJ Wilson is the heavy favorite to win the title in Doha. But after that, I think the medals are totally up for grabs. Yeah, I think even though Wilson didn't make the final, I would give her the nod of... (laughs) being the retroactive 2016 Olympic champion, if we could rerun the race without the intersex athletes. It just shows like, you know, all across the board, these athletes are impacted. And now, you know, Nike came out, you guys talked about this in the podcast last week with a new policy for mothers and this sort of stuff. So all these intersex women that Nike was sponsoring, are they just essentially dropped? They get all these reduction clauses because they, they, can't compete now and they won't be world ranked. I, mean, I assume that what is what happens. And maybe if you're Semenya, you're a national star in South Africa, you're Olympic champion, you made some really good money. But for Nian Saba and Wambui, I mean, it's just got to be just a crushing blow not to be able to compete, not to be able to do what you love and not be able to make a living doing it. I mean, it, it's hard not to feel sympathy for everybody all all around, all around. I think this is the right decision for the sport long term and how I feel women's sports should be treated. But gosh, I mean, this intersex thing just shows how sort of complicated it is. And it's not as, you know, black and white as I thought it once was. Yeah. And I think, sorry, when I was saying intersex earlier, I think maybe hyperandrogenous might be the more appropriate term. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we have confirmation that Wambui and Nian Saba were intersex it might just be hyperandrogenous is the term to refer to them but it is very interesting Weldon that you point that out that what happens to their contracts I'd love to know like Francine Niansaba does her deal go through 2021 is she is she still under contract and under Nike do they just totally cut her contract out completely I'd be fascinated to know how that works yeah I have no idea at all all right well let's talk about some other results from Paris Men's steeplechase. We saw Conceslas Caprudo got out there. His first steeple of the year, his first race of the year since he ran the relay at World Cross Country. He was up there. He was at the bell. He was in contention. And then that last lap, Sufian Elbakali made a big move and came down to a battle between Elbakali and Keegan, Benjamin Keegan, the two kickers. Down the home straight, Elbakali just pulled it out despite a nasty gash on the outside of his foot. So he got his third Diamond League win of the year. To me, I I thought Kipruto looked all right. You know, he didn't look like himself yet. But to come out there and get fifth in your first Diamond League of the year, not a bad showing, I think, with another month to prepare for Worlds. Maybe, you know, I, I think it's it, it's certainly it's somewhat encouraging. But the big thing about Kipruto is his kick. And he didn't have his kick at all. 
in Paris, and I'm just curious if he's going to be able to regain that by by Doha. Assuming he's healthy, he's my favorite for Worlds. I think this showed enough, and he's got a month to be there. I mean, I guess you could obviously argue El Bacali's the favorite, but Kipruto won a Diamond League final last year with one shoe. I mean, that's just the most amazing thing I've, I've seen, so... I feel like his ceiling, it's hard to argue that his ceiling's so much better than everyone else's because they've all run within, you know, a few seconds of one another. But I've never seen anything like that. So I give that guy another month. I think that last lap's a little bit better. You know, did El Bacali, is he going to be 100% healthy? Is Capruto going to be healthy at Worlds? Um, I saw him, I I didn't see, because I thought I saw something about Capruto leaving the track gingerly, or was that El Bacali? But Capruto said, I got through this race without any problem. I didn't have my usual strength, but that could have been caused by a small flu this week. So that makes me feel better. What's interesting about Capruto as well is two days after that race, he flies to Rabat and he runs the African Games and then drops out with a K to go. And I was wondering, I'm like, why the hell is this guy running two steeples in three days after not running any steeples the entire season? As, you know, his agent, Michelle Boating, told me, well, he's he actually agreed to run the African Games when he thought the gap between the two events, Paris and the African Games, was larger. And then they changed the schedule last week, moving the steeple up to Monday. So he still wanted to honor his commitment to Athletics Kenya, so he ran the meet, but he ended up dropping out. So... I don't know if he had a setback or if he just his body couldn't handle two races in that short a span. But I just I found it wild that he would be out racing again t- just two days later. Oh, I didn't know about him dropping out at the African game, so I need to maybe reassess making him the favorite. But man, <laughs> some of these African schedules changing stuff at the last second is pretty crazy. You know, the Kenyan trials were changed three weeks ago. So now we have the Kenyan trials, the Kenyan, excuse me, national championships went on as planned. Originally, those were going to be the Kenyan national championships and Kenyan trials were going to be the same meet. They decided to postpone the Kenyan trials till September so athletes could get better for worlds. But they still just decided we're going to have the Kenyan national championships separately. I mean, like two weeks before the trials. It just, it's nuts. I mean, man. I don't know what to say. I think it's crazy, though. Like, imagine if athletics, if USATF acted this way, I mean, we would we would never have be lacking for content. We'd just have a front page story every day. Like, people who think we criticize USATF, I think that it would just be ridiculous some of the articles we could write about the stuff athletic Kenya, athletics Kenya pulls. But yeah, we actually, we had some pretty good results from that meet, I mean, Timothy Chariot wins the 800 at the Kenyan Championships, 143-1-1. That's a PR by a second and a half for him. So that was huge. And then his training partner, Elijah Manningoy, he comes back, his first race since the pre-classic at the end of June, so almost two months. And he runs the he runs and wins the 1500. So he is looking, once again, like a world championship medal contender and I can confirm he is not trying the 1500 5K double. We had this report. Zinwa reported it, saying he's going for the double. Well, look, Manningoy, it's ridiculous to even think this. He's never run a 5,000. So the idea that he would double up at Worlds is crazy. But his coach, Bernard Uma, confirmed to me. And actually, the exact phrase that Bernard used to describe that article was uh, 
disregard it as gutter contents. So he will only be running the 1500, but I think he has a pretty good chance to medal again now. Once again, breaking news by Jonathan Galt on the podcast, shutting down the rumor that nobody believed that Menengoy would do the double. But it was written in, three, I think, three different Zinwa articles I saw that he really wanted the double. One of them described him as the Commonwealth 5,000-meter champion. And I was like, really? I don't remember him running that? No, he's never run a 5,000 in his life. So if you first read it in a Kenyan newspaper... Mm. Well, it's not Kenyan. It's Zinwa. This is a Chinese one. Zinwa is different, but it's coming. I don't know who's writing it. <laughs> Unless it's from our, our friend Maturi. You better think twice about it. If it's from Maturi, it's it's guaranteed. But do you think... So we've we've sort of had this argument, me and Robert, about Manigoy versus Chariot, who should be viewed as the favorite for Worlds. He sort of... I think he still supports Manigoy if he's running healthy because he's just won... He won the African and Commonwealth titles last year. He won Worlds in 2017. He was the silver medalist behind Kiprop, who has since been banned for doping in 2015. Whereas Chariot has been devastatingly effective on the Diamond League circuit, but has yet to win gold at a major outdoor championship. But Chariot runs 143-1. I mean, that's an incredible time for an 800. Who do, who do you think has the inside track in Doha, Weldon? Man, I mean, Manigoy picked the right year to get hurt, right? I'm going to go with Chariot just because there's some uncertainty on Manigoy's fitness. Ask me after the Kenyan Championships, right? Excuse me, Kenyan Trials, because I assume they'll both run that. And it'll be a championship race, although it's a little bit different, you know, Kenyan in altitude. But that's a few weeks. That, that's what, two weeks before Worlds. So you'll have a much better feeling of where Manigoy really is. I mean, obviously winning the Kenyan Championships shows he's in good shape, but it, he, it's not like he beat Chariot there, so... It's going to be a great one. I'm so excited with Worlds being at the end of September. Like, yeah, it's going to interrupt our NFL viewing a little bit, but oh my gosh, like we have a full another month. Like, usually we're sort of done talking about track and we have to pretend to be super excited about the Fifth Avenue Mile. And David Monty is going to be pissed at you, Weldon. Hey, I'm a New Yorker. We love the Fifth Avenue Mile. No, I love Fifth Avenue. I used to love going to New York for it, but it used to sort of be like, a little bit of sort of depression, sort of like, I don't know, like great Sunday and you got to go back to high school the next day. You're just like, ugh. So, but now I think like Jenny Simpson's going to be at the Fifth Avenue Mile. She's doing Diamond League Final as well. And then she's going to go race world. It's like you'll have anticipation instead of, you know, talking about Tokyo 2020. Yeah, maybe a few fewer pints raised after the race in Coogan's, but... Will be. I'm impressed she's running it, and I think a couple other athletes, U.S. athletes who are going to Worlds are running it as well. I just want to talk about one 1500 briefly in Paris, and it was a very deep 1500, won by Ronald Musagala in 330.58. He tied his Ugandan national record. The top 10 men in the race all broke 332. That's the first time in history it's ever happened outside of Monaco. It's happened twice in Monaco. You had Philip and Jakob Ingebrigtsen. They went 3-4. Both of them were apparently in a very heavy training block, so I don't think either of them really expected to win. You had Taufik Bakloufi. He actually didn't have the World Championship standard going in. He got it. He finished 7th in 331.77. But the thought I had after this race, it was pointed out to me on Twitter by someone, I don't remember exactly who, but they were like, man, if only Craig Engels had been in this race, you know, get the Olympic standard. 10 guys broke 332 and 13 got the Olympic stand in this race. 
but Craig ran in Birmingham last week instead of Paris this week, and Birmingham was a slower race. Yeah, you and Robert were on the Craig Ingalls train last week on the podcast. Stuart McSween beat him, right, in Birmingham. He was eighth in this one. Granted, he ran 331.81. I, I don't doubt for a second that Ingalls gets the standard if he's in this race, but, like, who cares? With the rankings and that sort of stuff, Ingalls is going to be in the Olympic. Well, what? No, 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 no. Who cares? Well, then, we don't know how they're picking the team. If USATF just says, hey, we're going off of who has the standard, we're ignoring the rankings, which all indications to me is that's what they're doing. If Engels runs 335.01 and there are three guys who have run sub-335, he could be shit out of luck. Athletes are starting to pay attention. We essentially helped change the Olympic marathon trials qualifying procedures. The IWF listened. USATF listened. We helped get that done. I think USATF and athletes now will be a little more proactive and somehow try to come up with a system that rewards world rankings because that's what the IWF wants. That's what athletes want. It's better for the sport. But... Fine, go ahead and just knock out the Olympic standard and get it out of the way. But 335 flat is the standard? Yeah. That's not that fast if you're, I mean, come on. Not that fast. No American has run that fast this year, well done. None. 13 guys in one race just got it. It's not that good. 13, none of them were American. How many Americans ran fa- that fast last year? One, Matthew Centrowitz. The last two years, well done, one American has the Olympic standard. Right. So I guess my point is, like, why are we giving Craig Ingalls the bronze medal in Doha? I'm, I'm not. I'm saying, but I'm say, you're just trying to say, like, oh, no, it'll be fine. People will get it. It's like, no, Josh Thompson didn't even get 336 this year. He missed out on the team. I think it could be a huge deal. If two guys go into this trials next year with the standard, or three, no, actually three will be the worst. Two, because if only two have it, you can go off world rankings. But if three guys have it, one of them finishes like ninth or doesn't even make the final, it's going to be a freaking joke. I don't know. We need to have Robert call in and get the Craig Ingalls victory parade going. Although a couple of weeks ago, I feel Robert was critical of Craig about something. I can't remember what that was. Usually it's just all Craig Ingalls. He knows his high school coach, da, 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 da. Yeah. I think it's cool. He went to, you know, he's the best man in a wedding. Oh, yeah. No fault. I'm not faulting him for doing that. Had to do that. Um, I guess Craig won't be in Diamond League final, right? No, he needs someone to scratch. There's hope. And since Manningoy's healthy, I don't think that's going to happen at this point. Speaking of guys without the standard, I see Nick Willis back at 337.33. Does that mean Nick Willis won't be at the World Championships? Uh, Robert has run the numbers, and he's I think he's right on the border of getting a bid based off the descending order list. So... I think he will probably get in at the tail end based on the descending order list, but it's not as comfortable. It's not a, usually it's just a given. Nick Willis is going to be at Worlds, and it's not this year. When's the cutoff? September sixteenth, I believe, is the so he's still got time. qualifying window. He does still have time, but there, there, he's running out of meets to get the time at. Is there fifteen hundred in Berlin? I don't know. We need Nick Willis at the Worlds. I mean, otherwise, like it'll show how old I am because when Let's Run dot com first started, like. 18-year-old or 19-year-old Nick Willis. And I met him at, they used to have a thing, like the Main Distance Festival, I think is what it was called. They had a series of meets in the Northeast that were pretty good. This high school kid was going to Michigan, met us at, met Robert and I at the meet, and he was so pumped. I was still running at the time, but he thought Let's Run was the coolest thing. Like the internet was pretty new, and for a kid in New Zealand to follow Elite Running, that's how you did it. And I, I mean, I still feel like to follow Elite Running, you're on Let's Run, but if ever since then, you know, here we are 19 years later, Nick Willis has been a 
staple at a lot of these world championships and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. All right. Well done. So we've talked about the Kenyan Championships. We've talked about the Paris Diamond League fifteen hundred. But the mo- the fifteen hundred I was most fascinated by last week took place in Birmingham, and that was the British Championships. So we hyped this up. This was sort of my race of the weekend to watch, and it lived up to the hype. It was very close. The top four finishers were all separated by less than half a second, so it was a really great, great race. You had Neil Gawley taking the win, the Virginia Tech alum, and that was a bit of a surprise, I would say. I don't think he was among... I didn't expect him to even finish in the top three, and he's now training for Oregon Track Club Elite. He takes the win over Josh Kerr, another former NCAA runner who was an NCAA champion at New Mexico. And then it gets really sticky because third was Jake Whiteman and fourth was Charlie Duval Grice. Now, British athletics, their selection policy is the top two athletes with the standard automatically make the team. Well, that's Neil Gawley and Josh Kerr. They both have it. They finished one, two. Then the third pick for the world championship team is a discretionary selection. It's up to the selectors to pick who they think is is going to be that third spot. And they have Whiteman, who was third at the trials. And he here's the case. Basically, they're picking between Whiteman and Grice. And the case for Whiteman is he beat Grice at the trials. He was hurt earlier this year. He had a sacral stress fracture, which meant he didn't race until June 29th was his first race. And since then, he's come and run 3.34. That's his fastest time of the year. Charlie Grice, on the other hand, has been on fire this year. He, he got a couple wins. He had one of the Adrian Martinez Classic. He won in Marseille. He ran 3.30.62, which is fourth on the all-time UK list, significantly faster than Jake Whiteman. He was an Olympic finalist in 2016, a world championship finalist in 2015. But he lost head-to-head in the trials at, to Whiteman in Birmingham. So if you're British Athletics, who do you pick? Do you pick the guy who has run super fast this year, but just, he didn't, Charlie Grace did not run a great tactical race in this final. Or do you pick Whiteman, who just eked ahead of Grace in the field, but hasn't, in, in, in the race, but hasn't run quite as fast this season? What do you think, what do you make of this situation? Well, that's why I like the US system. Top three to go to the team. I think... <laughs> It's tough, right? Like, this just shows why if you're Charlie Grice, you don't let the race go 348. He's run 330 this year. Whiteman's pretty good, you know? He's even won Diamond Leagues, I think, in the past in Oslo, right? Yep. But, I mean, he's run 330 and 334 this year. But So those are great things, but, okay, Worlds doesn't have rabbits. Usually it's a tactical race, and then maybe you could argue, okay, we go with Whiteman. I mean, uh, what, 348? They're just, like, separated by... 0.14. I think Grice is overall having the better season. So if you just want to, I don't know. I think if I go with the discretion, I give it to Grice. He's had the overall better season, but I wouldn't have a problem if they just said, hey, Whiteman's almost there. He beat him. This just this shows why I think U.S. athletes like the U.S. system. There's just not, you can debate it back and forth. You know, we have so much debate in sports to begin with. Now we have VAR and all this other stuff. It's just like, Top three. This is why fans love the U.S. trial system. It's great for TV. It's great for drama. That sort of stuff. Yeah, well, it's it's crazy. You know, Charlie Grice, he has had such a great year and then just one bad tactical race. It's all, it, you know, maybe he's still going to Worlds, but if he's not, it comes down to that one bad tactical race. That's why he's not going to Worlds. But of course, 
I don't want to discount the guys in front of him. I mean, Neil Gawley ran a terrific race, and he... It's interesting. So Neil Gawley was boxed in coming off the final turn, but then on the inside, Josh Kerr just let him have lane one, and he rides the rail to the win. And it's just crazy to me how often lane one opens up in these distance races. I I feel like I want to do a story on this at some point. Like, if you're Josh Kerr, why don't you hold the rail? Is there just a natural tendency for these guys to swing out a little bit because they feel pressure coming from their outside? Like, if you're in... La- Say you're running on the inside of lane one. You're never going to feel pressure from your inside because you've only got the rail next to you. But you are going to feel pressure from your outside. And sometimes when you feel pressure and someone coming up on you, your natural instinct is to slide out a little bit to block them off. And when you do that, you open up the rail. So I'm kind of interested. I'd love to hear the thought process of 1,500 or 800 runners, why they sort of slide out. Is it because that looming presence next to you? Yeah, and you act like Whiteman sort of, I mean, he's running 334 and 336 this year. So opening up late or whatever, he's still having a pretty damn good year. Oh, yeah, no doubt. All of these guys, right, are faster than guys in the U.S., which is crazy. Except for, I don't know, what's Gourley's best this year? I think Gourley is, oh, maybe 330. I think he might have got the mile standard uh, instead of the 1500. I have to double check that. And John, you acted like the Adrian Martinez classic is like, Winning a Diamond League or something. You sort of just threw that out there. And- well, you won the race. It's a win. I was just, I was there. I saw the race. I was kind of like, man, he looked pretty good. Okay, Gourley, he ran 335.95 in Seattle on June 15th. So he got the World Championship standard by 0.05. Okay, well then, let's move on. And unlike the Bowman Track Club, let's head to Zurich for the Diamond League final on Thursday. Diamond League final number one. We've got the men's 800, men's 5K, women's 1500, women's steeplechase. All these fields are good, and you're going to get world championship previews in pretty much all of them. Obviously, no Frerich, Courtney Frerichs or Colleen Quigley in the women's steeple. Though we will have Emma Coburn and Beatrice Chipkowicz, so that should be exciting. Which of these races, I guess I'll, I'll just ask you this way, which of these four distance races are you most excited for on Thursday? That's a tough one, John. I'm going to go with men's eight or the women's 15. Straddle the fence, go, go with two. Real quickly, with the Bowerman Track Club, you know, we had the article up. Essentially, they had, I think, three athletes qualify for the final, and they're all skipping it. And it's pretty apparent the club just is like, we, don't, we want to train in Utah and get ready for Worlds, which everybody understands. John, you seem really upset about that. It makes sense. I think now this just shows your bias as a journalist Jerry Schumacher does not talk to the press, so now you hate Jerry Schumacher. Please confirm. No, that's not it at all. I have I have a ton of respect for Jerry, and I've spoken I've spoken to him a couple times outside of interviews, and he's always been pleasant and friendly. But my problem with this is like, what's the point of having a regular season if teams aren't going to go run the if people aren't going to go run these races? I just think it's ridiculous. Like, I think the Diamond League that's as close as we have to that's what we that's our professional circuit. I think. These Diamond League races, when you get the top athletes together, they're usually pretty exciting. I I like watching Diamond Leagues. I think most fans of track and field do too. And when athletes just say, we don't care about this at all. The only thing we care about is Worlds. And they never race. I I just think that's bad for the sport. I think when you have Colin Quigley or Matthew Centrowitz or Courtney Frerichs, they come out of... They come out of hiding. They run the pre-classic because their contract requires them to do it. Then they go back at the altitude, and then they go run USA's. They they all they all ran like a tune-up race before USA's. So I'll give them credit for that. But 
then it's been a month since USA's. We have no idea when they, these guys are racing again. You know, maybe they'll do that uh, USA versus Europe dual meet in Minsk in September. But to just go a month without racing and they have the world championships coming up, it, it's. I'm a fan of the sport. I like seeing these athletes compete. And when they're just out running at altitude and all you get is Instagram updates from them, to me, that's not exciting. Like, yes, the world championships are going to be great, but the world championship, we know the world championships are going to be great. What I like is having a little excitement beforehand and seeing, hey, this person's running this well. You know, we get to see them test each other. We get to see Coburn test herself against Chip Koech in Zurich. We're not going to see Froehrich so quickly do that. Right. I just think you need to, what's the point of having these meets in a regular season in track and field if athletes are just going to say they don't matter at all? Agreed. But I mean, I totally understand the motivation. If it was like me, I would have been the same way. Get ready for the one big meet that matters. The article we put up was pretty interesting. I think there's one athlete this year who ran in the Garmin Track Club who ran a Diamond League meet that wasn't contractually obligated, and that would be Moa Maid at Rome. Now, because everyone else ran pre, so pre may be mandated in the contract. This is athletes who are going to go. Athletes who are going to Worlds. Kate Grace has run a few Diamond Leagues. Right, she didn't make Worlds, so now of course you're going to go run every Diamond League possible. Right. Mark Scott did run London, but I'm wondering if he's British. So if Nike told him, "Hey, we'd rather have you run the London meet than the pre meet." Right. So it's just kind of crazy, and there's different ways to coach athletes and that sort of stuff. And the NLP is sort of the contrast. They've run 28 Diamond League races this year, and the Bowerman only eight. For the sport, it's better if they're competing, but I don't really – it's like I ripped into Christian Taylor because I hated the fact that he skipped USA's, but people are like, don't rip the athletes, rip the system. So we now have a thread of the discussion of the week. Robert said last week on the podcast, you guys said we should try to fail every week, so I'm trying something new. Discussion of the week. I'll put it in the, in the show notes, but – Essentially, the discussion centers on this and Bowerman not running. And what can the sport do to make its stars compete more? You know, we need to have better incentives or maybe some requirements to make, I think, top-ranked athletes do more diamond leagues, essentially. And that may be not popular with agents and that sort of stuff, but the pro golf tour has requirements to be on the pro golf tour. The pro tennis tour has requirements to be on the pro tennis tour. And the problem with track and field is just everyone's a free agent. There's so many different athletes. How do you come up with a system that makes the top people essentially I think you should kind of force or incentivize them to compete in these meets. Well, the, my, my question is, do we need to have incentives or is it too much to ask these athletes to take it upon themselves to take some responsibility to go out and compete? Or do you think just the current situation proves that they're not going to do that? And do they owe anything to the sport? Obviously, Colin Quigley running one more Diamond League, that's not going to save the sport of track and field, but... I think these are small things that go into making it more interesting for the fans that we do have. To me, I think the athletes do owe some responsibility to the sport to try to improve the sport and try to make it better as opposed to just never racing. Yeah, but okay, they may owe something or maybe best for the sport, but that's out there now and they're not going to be in Zurich and they're not going to be in Brussels next week. So clearly that's enough. Maybe us bringing attention to it, maybe a little public pressure helps, but I don't think that's enough. I mean, right now, if you're an athlete... If you're Matthew Sinchowitz and your coach tells you the best way to get ready for Worlds is not to go race, if they if these people walk home with big medals around their legs from Doha, like they're going to think they did the right thing. So I think unless there's sort of some requirements out there, clearly with Nike and the incentives, it's fine for them to do this. I think maybe the ranking system, 
A lot of performance bonuses are tied to track and field news. We've started our own ranking system. Athletes need to be ranked lower. We just can't do rankings off of world. So if you win worlds and have a weak body of work, you shouldn't be ranked that high. And then if their financial incentives are diminished because of that, then I think athletes will think twice. But So they're going to go off of money or prestige, and they're still going to get the prestige if they win the worlds and some money. So And their contracts for next year. I mean, that's what's most important. But somehow there needs to be more than one meet that's not preseason every year. Right. I mean, look, and yes, I get it. I understand that Jerry's a great coach. He thinks the best way for his athletes to prepare is to get an extended training block at altitude and then come out and crush it at at Worlds. And, you know, if they go home with a pile of medals from that meet, they're probably not going to give a shit what I think. Or they they already don't give a shit what I think. But they're probably not going to say, like, yeah, this was a great trade-off. But let me posit this situation. Say Colin Quigley, the same thing happens to her in Doha that happened to her in London. Namely, she is disqualified for a very minute lane violation as she was in London. So she's just something or someone falls in a race, right? And they don't make the final and there's not going to be any racing opportunities after worlds because the diamond league circuit's done. The track circuit's done. It's the middle of October. Are you going to look back and say, yeah, I'm glad I didn't race at all and just put all my eggs into worlds. and Then worlds went terrible. I guess they have to ask themselves that question are they okay to deal with the consequences if they don't end up with that medal? And it seems like they all do. They all, they all are fine with that. But I think it's an interesting question to ask. Right. I mean, it's a fine line, right, between getting peak ready for one race. But, yeah, if they don't come home with medals at Worlds, like what do they have to show for the season? A lot of them, nothing or very little. And even Evan Jager, right? Everyone assumed the sub-8 would be there. But he, he, you don't get, he didn't take many cracks at it. So if everything doesn't go right a few times, and the argument could be, well, if you try 12 times, it's not necessarily then trying three times really well, but... Right, right. I think, I, I, actually, I do think that's a fair point. They they hit like two Diamond Leagues hard per year and took re- two real serious cracks at it per year, or maybe one serious well crack at it per year, as opposed to like five races where he's maybe, you know, at 90%. I, I, I actually think that's there's a fair argument to the approach Jager took. And he he would get very close every year. He just never quite did it. Man, I still want to see that. All right, let's, let's break down some of these races. I don't know. Let's start with the men's 800 because it's got two really good Americans in it, and it's the shortest one, so we'll, just, we'll start there. Things loaded. It's a World Championship preview. Yeah. Oh, you got Nigel Amos, who this is the first time we've seen him since his injury in London. Donovan Brazier is out there. We've got Emmanuel Correa, who was you know the world number one last year. Brandon McBride, who just won in Paris and looked pretty good. He ran 143 there. And then Clayton Murphy, who's been running a lot. He doesn't have that one signature performance, but he's been pretty consistent every time out. I think, to me, it comes down to Amos and Brazier. I think if, if Amos is recovered from... Oh, and then, sorry, I should give... Ferguson Rotic has also been running very well this year. He's run 142. Um, so maybe I, I think those three are kind of the guys to watch. If Amos is healthy, I'm going to pick Amos. He's been pretty much unbeatable when he's been on his game, but very excited to see how Brazier does. Uh, this is his first race since USA's. Yeah. I mean, with Amos, this will be a, a big one. The fact that Amos is back, people said he's doing workouts soon after he dropped out of that race last month. So all indications are he's healthy, but I still want to see it and see how he runs. Um, and also, he had trouble a couple years ago, sort of. He had a pretty good season, then he fizzled out by Worlds. Well, he's got to get this one, and then Worlds is still another month away. So, 
you know, one thing to look for is, is there any sort of tail off as the season comes along? None of these guys are used to racing in September. Clayton Murphy, he was interesting because I, Brandon McBride, you know, looked great winning in, in Paris over the weekend. And it was just sort of a standard fast, pretty fast race, 143. And Murphy just couldn't hack it. And then I think everyone just knows his promise and how fast he's run in the past, you know, that 142 at the Olympics. But, you know, he, he hasn't broken, he ran 144 pretty early this year, but he still hasn't broken 144. So do we need to see something here from him or he's still got another month? So everyone can sort of pile onto the like, hey, I don't need to be ready for another month. And Murphy's shown he can do it at the championship races when it really matters. In career, you know, this season hasn't been like some of his others, but same thing. He's got another month to get ready. So, I mean, the 800 can be real. If all of these guys are firing at Worlds, it's, I think, the most competitive distance event. It probably almost always is. But this year, without a Radisha-type guy, it's really wide open. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say probably the 5K actually might be more competitive. That's been a really good event this year. But it's interesting. Korea was actually involved in a fairly nasty car accident earlier this year, and he had some problems. I think even after I talked to his agent, Karen Locke, Karen Locke at USA's, and she was saying he was having difficulty moving his head and moving his arm, I think, his was injured. So, you know, I, I think maybe he's over. if he's over that, he might be better back to better form. But that happened in the middle of the season and was sort of a rude interruption in his season. The argument for Murphy, his, what I think, if you're a Murphy fan and your argument for why he could be a medal threat or will medal at Worlds is just he has been flying all over the world this year for races. I mean... Okay, so his opener was May 16th at Oxy. He ran the 800 there. Then he goes to Rome and runs the 1500 on June 6th. Sorry, 800 on June 6th. And then he goes to Oslo and runs the mile on June 13th. Rabat runs the 800 on June 16th. Then he runs the pre-classic Stanford. So he's flying all the way Rabat to Stanford June 30th for the Bowman Mile. Then he flies back to Europe for the Lausanne 800, runs 144 there. Then it's Des Moines for USA's. And then he goes out to Paris for this, for the 800 on Saturday. And now he's running the Diamond League final. So he has been globetrotting. He's made several. This is his third separate trip back to Europe for races. And he's been running pretty well in all of them. I mean, he's run 144, 145, 144 in his first three Diamond Leagues. Then 144 again in Paris. So I think your argument for him would be, Look, he's been globetrotting, he's been chasing races, and when he gets like a month, he's probably going to have a month of training in between the final and and Worlds, and he once he gets that block of just training, he might be able to improve those results and get back to the 142-143 form we saw from a couple of years ago. I understand the argument, but it, I mean, his best finish was th- in any of these big races is third, and that was in Rabat in a 145-99 race for him. So, I don't know. I mean, to medal, he's going to have to run faster, so I think... <laughs> That's what he needs to do. Run faster. Yeah, that's that's the advice from Weldon Johnson. If you want a medal at Worlds, just run faster. Um, okay, let's move on. Women's steeple. Uh, we have a clear favorite in Beatrice Chepkowicz, but she didn't look great. I mean, her last time out in Birmingham, she, she really slowed on that last lap and almost got run down by a few women. And Emma Coburn, she did what she always did at USA. She looks very comfortable. She made a move with the... You know, a couple laps to go and put Courtney Frerichs and Colin Quigley in their place. She sort of asserted her dominance once again. 
I've liked what I've seen from Coburn so far this year. That win at USA's was impressive. She ran 9.04 at Prefontaine, which is only two seconds off her PR, and she did that while falling in that race. I mean, I think if Coburn gets to where... She's usually pretty consistent through the year as well. I think if Coburn shows up and Chip Coach runs the same race she did in Birmingham, Coburn could definitely win, but then you've also got Nero Gerudo to worry about. You've got... Uh, Selfine Chesspol, who showed some signs of promise. She ran 9.06 in Birmingham. So, I don't know. I think it all comes down to Chip Coach for me. If she's in 8.55 form, she's going to win easily. But if she's like she was in Birmingham, I think this is a heck of a race. Yeah, I didn't think about this, John, but could this be the first sub-9 steeple for an American woman? This is going to be the best opportunity. I mean, Coburn, her PR was from the World Championship Finals, so it's not like steeple finals can't go fast at Worlds, but yeah, this is probably going to be her best opportunity. She's going to be in really good shape. It's going to be, it's a fast track. Conditions are good for running fast, so usually good in Zurich. So yeah, sub nine watch. We're on alert. I need to get off, you know, the Evan Jager sub eight watch. I don't know. I've had it so hyped. I'm so excited. I mean, I think sub eight is a, tougher standard to hit just mainly because you see how fast chip coaches run but no american woman has been sub nine it would be an american record for coburn she's the world champion it'd be kind of fitting i think to reward the person who actually showed up at the diamond league final if she could take back the american record from courtney frerichs i mean it's kind of crazy she pretty much never loses to frerichs the one time she does she loses the american record so this gives me i should be maybe i should be most excited for this one you know, because it's a huge opportunity for Coburn. See where she stacks up against Jeff Coach and can she go sub nine? So maybe we should hype this one up a bit. I mean, the Diamond League finals, we're going to be hyping up all of these races. Like, I just, I look at that and it's a good race, but I'm more excited about the last two races we've got on the last two distance races we've got on the schedule. There are also some other sprint races, the 400 hurdles in particular, both races I think could be going to be really good. Talking about world records, I mean, potentials on the table in both of them but the let's let's go to the women's 1500 so this is going to be interesting Genzebe Dababa is showing her face she's running the final here and Sifan Hassan has also entered Konstanz Klosterhalfen uh and then Jenny Simpson the American is running it and of course Houlihan Houlihan didn't have enough points and neither did she didn't have any points. She only ran one Diamond League and it was a non-points event at Prefontaine that's the same deal with the Olympic champion, Faith Kipugon, she only ran Prefontaine. She won it, but she, at least, I think the explanation was she had an adductor injury, uh, which kept her out of London, and she hasn't raced since. So, to me, I think it's going to come down to Hassan and Dababa. I think Jenny Simpson, maybe in a championship race, is more of a factor, but in a fast diamond league, I, I don't think she's... I don't know. Can Jenny Simpson still run 358? She ran 359 earlier this year, but you know she also just turned 33 years old, so... I think it could be tough. It could be tough, but I don't know if this this kind of race suits her. I've trust her more in a championship final. So I think it's Dababa Hassan. I'm going to go with Hassan. She broke the world record in the mile earlier this year, but Dababa, we don't really know what she's capable of. She hasn't raced for a little bit. No Laura Muir. Do you know what's up with her? She's injured. She's not running till Worlds. She has a cough injury, which is a bummer because the last time we saw her in London, she ran. 358 with a 57 lost lap i mean I, I thought i saw that race i said she's gonna win the world title this year and that was despite seeing what we saw from Hassan in, in monica well i guess Hassan's probably not running the 1500 at worlds but 
Yeah, it's a bummer that Muir's not running this race. So really, you have three three of the best women in the world, Muir, Hassan, and Kipigon, all not running it. And yeah, I still think it's exciting because we got Hassan... Sorry, Muir, Kipigon, and Houlihan are not running it, but we still have Hassan versus Dababa. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And too bad Robert's not on the podcast to tell Jenny Simpson to run the steeple, but with some of these injuries, you know, we might see her on the medal stand in Doha again. I mean, Dababa versus Hassan... I want to see Hassan win this one because I want to push her to the 15 or the 8. <laughs> we joke about the 10-8 double. That's really probably not going to happen. But the 10-15 double is definitely doable at the Worlds. So if she wins this, can she really not run it at the Diamond League final? I mean, excuse me, at the Worlds. So I think from a rooting interest, I want to see Hassan beat Dababa. And John, you're always a little bit skeptical of Dababa. I'm not sure why. Was skeptical how? I don't know, John. You just sort of haven't seen a race in a while. You mean her coaching associations? The fact that they raided her hotel and found EPO in the trash? I'm a little skeptical of that. Yeah, I'd actually say I'm a lot skeptical of that. That just shows, I think, some, some of the stuff, right? Why people are skeptical of the sport. We had the Christian Coleman thing going on. He may or may not get a suspension. He didn't test positive. But we also had a whole hotel raided. Supposedly EPO was carted out. And not a single, not a single drug suspension, doping suspension... I don't know, parking ticket for anything from what I can tell has come down from this thing. Well, wasn't Musayeb Bala, the Qatari athlete, they, I thought he was the full guy in the situation. and he ended, I don't know if he ended up getting banned or not. He hasn't actually competed. So, he hasn't competed since 2016. So maybe it was a shadow ban or something like that. John, we're in the era, we're in the era of fake news. So please don't once again disrupt my facts. If I have a good story, you just go with it. Like Trump gave a press conference yesterday, like seven things weren't true. Are you trying to say you want to be more like Donald Trump? No, but I was, I was reading, it's funny how you evaluate stuff. So I was reading the fact, the, depends on how you do it, lies, or I'm like, oh, that's just a Trump exaggeration. So five of them I was sort of fine with. I was like, you know, he said 180 billion instead of 80 billion. I'm like, okay, for Trump, that's nothing, man. Okay, Dababa Hassan, they're always good matchups. A couple names missing. I can't believe you like this event better than the men's eight or the women's steeple. It's still more competitive than the steeple, I think, in some sense, even though you could argue it's not what the name's missing, but sort of the top of notch, if they're on, you're not sure who's going to win. I mean, I guess if Dababa's in 350 shape, you know who's going to win. But sort of this year's form, if Dababa and Hassan both bring it, I still don't know who wins. Yeah, well, I mean, Dababa's run 355. We got to build this up. Well, it's the mile world record holder against the 1500 world record holder. And yeah, Dababa hasn't raced any races since June ni- uh, July 9th. She hasn't run a 1500 since June 16th. So it's been a while. What's she been up to? Where has she been training? Who's coaching her? I'd love to know the answer. Maybe she's joined the Barrowman Track Club. But I guess she wouldn't be at this race then. So that that I guess I'm not going to have my first breaking news story in the podcast. Yeah. All right. Well, and then, all right, here's another race I'm excited for. This is the race I'm most excited for, in fact. It is the final men's 5,000 meters ever in the Diamond League. Unless they decide to bring it back in a few years. But I think it's. I'm sad to see the 5K go. It's not going to be the same. I love watching these races. And we've got, it's loaded, as you would expect. Solomon Borrega, Telehun Bekele, Paul Shalimo, Joshua Cheptegei, Hagos Gebrewet. Henrik Ingebrigtsen's in there, Yomif Kajelcha, Stuart McSwain, Ben True, and then uh, Switzerland managed to sneak in the home favorite, Julian Wanders. So, Ben True? I'm just mentioning Ben True. Oh, he's not going to win, but I just... No, I'm just saying, John, I mean, Dartmouth, 
We always have a Dartmouth segment here. How did Ben True make this meet? He ran some diamond leagues. You know, that's how you you, you got to run to make the meet. That's true. He was flying over these races, and I feel like he's not having his best season. I mean, he's run thirteen oh nine, but you know, his PB is thirteen oh two. But I guess yeah, that shows we actually reward people who race. So Ben True, win it somehow. Go sub thirteen. Well, Drew Drew Hunter could have got. Drew Hunter was in position to get an invite. He turned it down. He's been dealing with a planter issue. I assume that's why. But Drew Hunter could have run this race if he wanted to. I guess the debate is who wins. I'm going to go with Kajelcha. He's undefeated in 5,000s this year. But, you know, we've seen all these guys. I mean, Borrega's won one. Uh, sorry, Borrega won this race last year in 1243. Telehoon Bekele has won a Diamond League this year. Joshua Cheptegei won the two-mile at Prefontaine. I mean, Hagos Gebrewet has been running really well. He won the uh, Ethiopian 10K Trials. I think there are a bunch of guys who could win it. I, I'm going to go with Kajelcha, but I think it, it's going to be very exciting. That comment you just said, he won this last year in 1243. This race was sick last year, and had everybody really excited about the 5K. And, you know, this year we had a really fast 5K in Rome, 1252, that Bekele won. They highly Bekele. No relation to Haile Gebrselassie or any of the Bekele brothers. But I forgot, you know, how fast they ran early this year. And I guess you like Kajelcha, but he's only run 13 flat this year. So the question is, does he have to put up a fast time to make the Kenyan team for Worlds? Ethiopian team, yeah. Excuse me, Ethiopian team. You know, I think that's an interesting subplot. And they ran so fast last year. Zurich, a lot of times you get, it used to be known as like, you know, just the place to run fast. Could they really go after it again? Does Kajelcha need to go after it again? Um, there is a rabbit in this race. Obviously, they had one last year when they ran so fast. And he was the one who set up that whole race last year, the 1243. He just kept pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And the Ethiopian, in some ways, I almost hope the Ethiopians have some, they're just going to go off time for the world championships because that would force Kajelcha to push this pace. And then, like, what do we see again? I mean, we saw something crazy last year. So if we're going to never have the 5K in the Diamond League again, like, come on, it's really stupid. Like, who wants to see 3Ks? Nobody likes the 3K. You you make an interesting point there, Weldon, because no one, again, some of these federations, like the Ethiopian Federation, I've talked to agents earlier this year, and they're just like, yeah, we don't know how Ethiopia's going to pick that team. We never really know. And so Kajelcha might be in a situation where he thinks he has to push the pace to get a fast time. But and in so doing, he just serves as a rabbit so everyone runs fast and he ends up like fourth in the race and they don't pick him because three Ethiopians run faster than he does in this race. I mean, it could just be, I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm very interested to see how this race plays out. Uh, so let's hit a couple of the other events. I think both the 400 hurdles races are going to be terrific because in the women's side, we've got Sydney McLaughlin against Dalila Muhammad, the world record holder. I mean, that showdown alone is worth the price of admission. You could see another world record. Sydney, actually, it's interesting. At USA's, we, Sydney was asked, you know, Delilah just ran 52-20. You know, it might take a world record to win in Doha. Do you think you can get to that level? And she was basically like, no, not this year. You know, she, she felt that was too big a gap to overcome. And obviously, that's a lot to ask of a woman who just turned 20 years old, but you know, I think Muhammad though it was like, no, I didn't run a perfect race. There's more on the table for me, so I'm very interested to see how fast one of the, one of them can run, or both of them run in Zurich. 
Yeah, I didn't realize that McLaughlin thought she couldn't break the record this year because before you said that, I was like, could we see the world record holder lose in her next race to another world record? Has that ever happened before? And I'm sure in the history of track and field when there's some soft records, it has. But that would be kind of crazy, right? If in back-to-back 400-meter hurdle races with Sidney McLaughlin and the the Lyle, no, the Lola Muhammad, if the world record went down to different people, that'd be pretty crazy. But you're saying city saying that's not going to happen. Well, if that's not going to happen, the Lola Muhammad is my favorite for the worlds because she thinks she can run faster. But this is a great race, as is the men's 400 meter hurdles. I mean, we could the world record hasn't gone there, but people have been talking about it. You got Ryan Benjamin and, and Karsten Warholm, and I think Warholm now has the season's best. But everyone sort of just kind of assumed after. Benjamin, I think he opened super fast faster this year. And he's been running great at 400 that, you know, maybe he's the one to beat. Who do you like in that one? I like Rye Benjamin. And part of it is just, I saw his race at pre and he just looked, he made that look so damn easy. You know, he it's like, he just, he just cruised and then really turned it on and pulled away the second half. But I, I just, I don't know. I, I know that Samba has owned him on the circuit, or Samba beat him earlier this year, but Samba is now not running. He's been injured. But just the way, I mean, the way Benjamin cruised through the rounds at USA's, he ran 47-23, totally unchallenged. Yeah, he ran 47-16 at Stanford. Whereas Warholm really looks like he goes to the well every time out. Like, he gets after it really aggressively, and then he's, like, really struggling to hold on. I think both of these guys racing each other will push them to a higher higher level and just looking up have they raced against each other they've never raced each other in their entire lives this is their first showdown because remember benjamin didn't run worlds in 2017 where Wilhelm was the world champion so i think we could see both of these guys maybe go under 47 seconds if they're really pushing each other and my dream weldon for this year was samba would have been healthy and we would have seen three guys break the world record in the same race in the world championship final. I know that was a total pipe dream and Samba, we don't know what his status is, but I midway through the year, I thought that was legitimately possible with how well these guys are all running. I think we see a sub 46. It's only been done by two men in history, world record holder, Kevin Young, and then Abdurrahman Sama the last year. And I think it's going to be Benjamin who gets the win. Yeah. Take it back. What I said about Ryan Benjamin opening vast, he got beat by, I guess, Samba in Shanghai. His first 400 meter hurdles. I mean, he ran, Benjamin ran a 44-31 way back at Mount Sac. I think he got smoked by Michael Norman in that race. But 44-3 in April for a 400-meter hurdler, it's a pretty good opener. Well, Warholm ran 45-04 indoors. Wow. <laughs> Which is also really good. You think he's a bit like maybe it's like the, the Japanese academic runners. They're sort of expected to like pass out at the finish. You think that's part of his stick is like he's got to look exhausted and at the finish? I don't know. He's not always exhausted. I mean, he's had some pretty good celebrations where he goes nuts afterwards. But he he's just a guy, he likes running really fast the first half. I think Benjamin likes taking it a little easier the first half and then turning it on the second. So I think it's an interesting contrast in styles. And yeah, ben, Benjamin's my guy. He's I'm, I'm rolling with him, but I love watching Warholm compete. And I think this is going to be a really terrific race. And I think I've heard Kevin Young might be going to some of these races. Like there's been some expectation that the world record might go down, but hey, these things are hard to predict. I don't think anybody would have thought that you'd see the world record broken at, in Des Moines. I mean, I guess it was obviously a possibility, but 
it's not generally the place of world records. Now, Weldon, one other thing that came out last or earlier, I think it was the very end of last week or early this week, is they said they're going to be in September. They're going to be deciding which Diamond League meet to cut out. They're moving from 14 down to 13. They said that Zurich will be hosting. The final is just going to be a one-off final. There is no more Zurich-Brussels final. It's just going to be Zurich for the next two years. They said after 2021, they'll start rotating it between some of the other meets can sort of bid for it, that sort of thing. Zurich, I think, is a great choice to host the final. I went there in 2017. It was one of the best track meets I've ever been to. I think the atmosphere is right. They always sell it out. They do a great job with everything there. So that's going to be really good. Of the 14 Diamond Leaks that we currently have, which one are you cutting for 2020 if you have the choice? I think there's two obvious choices, Rabat or Birmingham. But I think you told me the Birmingham track's being renovated, so bye-bye. Yeah, they have to redo that stadium because they're hosting the Commonwealth Games in 2022. And to be honest, so I went to the Birmingham Diamond League in 2017 as well before I went to Zurich, and the atmosphere could not have been more different. The stadium needs to be replaced. It wasn't a great stadium, but just, I I was like, look, the UK already has a Diamond League. I don't see why we have a second one here in Birmingham. Maybe once they get the stadium back, then you bring it back. There's more excitement, but I think it's, to me, it's fairly obvious you cut Birmingham next year. Yeah, I guess also next year, I guess it makes sense to have one Diamond League final because presumably it's before the Olympics, right? Or no, it'll be after, after, right? Well, here's the thing. So Sebco has said he wants to overhaul the schedule of the Diamond League and have the finals before Worlds. But is I guess is that only during World Championship years? Because the Olympics start, track and field starts the Olympics on July 31st next year. I can't imagine that they are going to try to wrap up the entire Diamond League season by, you know, the middle of July. Never mind. I said that completely wrong. I'm still recovering from vacation. I feel like after the Olympics, you could still have two Diamond League finals and, and space it out. I have no problem with track going on. Zurich is a great place. You know, it's re- widely regarded as the best one-day track meet in the world. So I'm f- great to see them have the final. I'm still not convinced that an hour and a half schedule is the way to do the Diamond League. As we've said, every prominent sporting event in America la- in the world lasts two hours usually. Um, if you're going to have less competition on the track, fine. But then, like, really introduce the, sh- the events. You can still have a two-hour broadcast. Highlights discussion beforehand afterhand sort of try to educate people about what's going on instead of just what do we always see the diamond league international broadcast comes on they're lined up for the 400 meter hurdles the gun goes off they talk about that thing and they just go to the next one the next one there's no anticipation of like here's what to see you know maybe just a five minute thing about what's going to happen you know before like a premier league soccer match comes on they break down the games for the day what's going to happen that sort of stuff the anticipation is what you need two and a half hour final would be great but I guess it really doesn't matter. We just have the tour championship. It's probably best to have maybe one event, so I can see why they're doing that. But I'm just this new schedule. I want to see how they how they do it. I'm glad they're trying new things, but I still think there's things to be worked out. Yeah, no, I think you hit it with the uh, the anal- the analysis in between events would be great. Like, could you imagine? So you've got Tim Hutchings and like Steve Cram doing the commentary, and then they throw it to the the studio. They have like an on site studio or something with you know Michael Johnson. I know Michael Johnson was for the BBC, but someone like that who is sort of providing analysis. They're breaking down a race. They're saying, oh, did this person make a mistake here? What does this mean for the season going forward? I think that's the, that's something that would be interesting. You know, it reminds me of soccer. That's what they talk about at halftime. Did someone, oh, did, did Jurgen Klopp, what tactical adjustment did he make? Is it working? Does he need to change things? Should they bring on a sub, you know? Right. Bring that to track and field. And also it's weird now because like some broadcasts are just two hours. 
There's no filler. There's really no room for commercials. Whereas others have commercials kind of cut in, but it's sort of like an evolving broadcast depending on whether the local broadcaster wants to go to commercial or not. But I think a more set thing, guidelines, but even if you're just going to have the international feed, the international feed somehow needs to have a studio show. You know, we can't just like show track and field, show the highlights, that's it. We can do that with ping pong, we do that with anything. You need to educate people about what they're seeing so the casual fan can kind of sort of get up to speed instead of just like shooting off the gun. Like if we're just going to shoot off the gun and show people run, okay, we could do that with like six-year-olds. I mean, those videos seem popular on YouTube, right? Yeah. But there's also one more big event in Zurich, John. I don't know if you were going to go there or not, but we have the men's 100 meters. Yeah, we talked about it briefly at the start, you know, Lyles versus Gatlin when we talked about the Coleman stuff. But obviously, I think this is going to be very interesting because like part of me says if Lyles wins, we need to fight, figure out a way to get him in the Worlds for the 100. You know, especially if Coleman's not running, we need to get him to Worlds. But the thing is, Lyles has said he doesn't want to do the double. He wants to make sure that he and that's that whole plan has been in place this season. Just do the 200. But yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. Say Lyle smokes Gatlin in this race, then Coleman's banned and Gatlin wins Worlds. It's going to be kind of an interesting position where people think that Gat- Coleman, that Lyle's is the best 100-meter runner, but uh, Gatlin's the world champ. But of course, remember, Gatlin beat Lyle's when they raced in the 100 early this, earlier this season, so it, it's far from a given. I just think it's awesome that Lyle's is running this race. He doesn't have to. He said he's just running the 200 at Worlds. But if yeah, if he wins this thing... I guess he was racing this even with Coleman in here, right? Like, that's what the sport needs. People not afraid to lose. Like, you know, Robert said, we want to be screwing up more at Let's Run, making mistakes. What do you fail at this week? It's really not a failure if you give it your best and do your all. So go out there and compete in an off event. I mean, it's a little bit easier to do that because, it, oh, I didn't lose at your main event where you got your ego tied up. But if he wins this event, they need to find a way to at least, I feel like, give him an window to get to worlds and i don't think the usatf needs to change its system he should not bump the fourth placer from usas but i would have no problem if the iwf said hey for events where people have won the world championships and get a buy and the same country has a buy because there's a different person who won the diamond league you can take five and then let him go i think that would be great for the sport like there was some emergency thing passed for that and it's sort of just a new rule it doesn't really hurt anyone and it gets the best stars competing. And then Noah Lyles could sort of be this face heading into Tokyo because if Coleman's not there, holy crap. Like, we got, I assume Lyles w- would try to do the double next year, but you need some a name out there beforehand. Nobody knows who these guys are outside of track and field fans. So somehow, if we had Noah Lyles doing the 100, 200 double in Doha, that'd be great. But we're already giving him the victory in this race, which maybe a bit much. No, like Gatlin beat him in Monaco. I think Gatlin, I'd probably say Gatlin's the favorite, assuming, well, you're assuming he's in, he's in ready to go because he hasn't really raced all out since before USA's. But yeah, I, I'm going to say Gatlin will win it. And Noah Lyles ran really well last week in Paris, as he always does in 200. So he's probably my pick for second. But it was only he was only .01 behind gatlin in monaco it was a close one so obviously it's going to be a very exciting race there so well then i think that wraps it we've talked about zurich for a while that's coming up on thursday that's going to be exciting uh one thing oh i wanted to hit 
our dreams become reality segment of the week. We I should have I should have mentioned this when we were talking about the British fifteen hundred. I'm going with Neil Gawley, the NCAA former. He was never an NCAA individual champ at Virginia Tech, but now he's the British champ and going to Worlds. He did help them. He anchored them to the relay victory in 2018 at NCAA indoors. So he's my dreams become reality segment for the upset win at USA at uh, the British Championships. Do you have do you have a dreams become reality or shall we move on to some transgender talk to close it out? I got to go with Hannah Green. I mean, come on, right? Who would have pictured her to win the Diamond League this year? So Hannah Green, where your dreams become reality segment winter, winter winner. Wow, two Hokies! What a, what a great week for uh, the residents of Blacksburg. Hannah Green and Neil Gawley cleaning up. Okay, so before we go, could be a controversial issue. I guess we'll we'll dive into this. June Eastwood. She is a runner for the University of Montana. She is transgender, male to female. She's going to be competing in a cross country race on in on Saturday. Division one cross country race. She'll be the first male to female transgender athlete in NCAA Division One cross country. To my knowledge, she's the first male to female transgender athlete in ever in Division One. I, I there might have been someone in another sport. If there is, I haven't heard of them. And it's interesting because her PRs are significantly faster than the collegiate records in multiple events. She's run 155 for 800, 350 for 1500, 1438 for 5000. But she did all of this, you know, competing as a man. And since then, she has gone on testosterone suppression therapy. She has taken estrogen pills. So the rule for the NCAA is quite weak. You only need to take 12 months of testosterone, you know, over suppressing your testosterone. There's no limit you have to get under. It's pretty vague. But she has done what is required to be eligible, and now she's going to be competing. And I guess the question is, how good is she going to be? I guess nobody really knows, right? And that's the question. And people, you see it sort of both ways. I think, one, the NCAA needs to have stringent rules, real rules. So if someone's going to change essentially their biological sex, and some would say you can't do that. So some, I mean, there's, I've learned so much about this. I'm like, can I say she's biologically a man? And people are like, oh, there's five things about biology. Chromosomally, she's a male. So I was like, okay. So if they're trying to change their, and maybe they're saying chromosomally she's male, but if you suppress all your testosterone, you can call them biologically female because there's some biological component here that makes people want to be a different gender. So there are all these things that are out there. But clearly testosterone, from what we know now, is one of them. And if it's not limited to a certain level, she should dominate, right? I mean, people go, she wouldn't want to do that. And I don't doubt her intentions. I think they're pure. She's a trailblazer here. She's getting a lot of attention. You know, it it can't be easy growing up thinking you're the wrong gender. Um, So it takes a lot of courage to do this. But... We're at sort of like a catch-22, right? Like, if she runs really well and dominates, it's because she's not taking enough testosterone, right? If she suppresses her testosterone a ton and is okay, okay. I mean, it's just sort of weird, right? Like, with Gaster Semenya, people think it's wrong for her to take drugs. They have to take them to compete. And here, the only way June can compete is if she takes drugs. But the, the NCAA has no limits on the drugs you need to take, which is just... That's ludicrous. I mean, Steve Soprano of Let's Run.com has made the argument, I understand it, that in elite sports, she should never be allowed to compete, that there's, you know, bone density advantages, height advantages, and that she can't ever be the same as someone born 
biologically female that she'll always have an unfair advantage. I understand that. And maybe at elite sport, I'm fine with that argument. But if you're going to have rules that let her compete in the idea of fairness, it's like we need some sort of testosterone cut off, I feel like, at the very least. Because otherwise, I feel like her performance is solely related to how much testosterone is she taking. Sure, she'll have to train and do this other stuff. But if she cuts back on testosterone, she's the NCAA champion in like three events and setting NCAA records, like no question. So it's just sort of a weird thing, you know, where we're at and even how you discuss it. Because like, I don't know, we, we were talking about, we're writing an article now and I was saying that, you know, she used to compete as a man and I had her name and you're like, you can't name her. And I'm like, what? Like, it's just factual what name she competed of. And you're like, that's called, what's the term? Dead naming dead naming and i was like well i don't mean any harm by it can we not say bruce jenner won the olympics i mean like it was just sort of a factual thing so there are all these sort of sensitive issues but i think as long as you have a pure heart and you mention someone's name like what some people decide like what's if i don't know i, mean, I guess there, there's words and stuff that are offensive in anything but i don't know like if someone calls her a biological uh, we are told not to say biological male biologically male by people and other people say that's factual she's biologically male it's just sort of crazy where we're at now and then even if she competes has lower suppressed testosterone and does pretty well are there victims there john do you think so she's still bumping someone from the travel squad is she on scholarship do we even know that this sort of stuff there's a lot of factual things to figure out here is the essential issue with a male to female transgender and it's basically a no-win situation for them no matter how good they run they're always going to i i think there are always going to be some people saying well, they have an unfair advantage. If they're winning NCAA, certainly there will be people saying, you know, she's only this good because she used to be a male. But even if she's beating someone in lower level races, it's going to be in the back of people's minds. How much does it, an advantage does she have from having, you know, 20 years of testosterone? Is it does that build up? I think I'm not scientifically literate enough to know exactly how big the advantage is. If, if she has one, but I guess wh where are we even comparing this advantage to? Like, we're saying we have an advantage, an advantage compared to what? Compared, to, It's impossible to say, okay, she was this good as a male, now this is the baseline for expectation for how good she's supposed to be as a woman, and if she's above that level, then she has an advantage, and if she's below that level, she doesn't. It's just such a difficult issue to address that way. But I also think what what is, what is interesting, I just reached out to Joanna Harper, who's a also a transgender male to female uh, athlete and scientist. She's run well at master's levels, but she, she pointed out to me, she said, when I ran 223 marathon in 1982, you know, as a man, it was faster than the existing women's world record. And I certainly never dominated even among the old ladies after my transition. And she pointed out with regards to June, she said, I think most people will be surprised at how much slower she will run. Remember back in 2010 to 2012 when everyone thought that Semenya was sandbagging? Soon people will be saying that about June too. She just isn't going to be that fast in cross country. She will do better in the 800 and 1500 this spring, but I still doubt she will dominate. So I don't know. I think it's interesting, but to me, yeah, it's it's sort of a no-win situation for her because I think no matter how fast she runs, there are always going to be some people saying, well, she's got an advantage. Right. And obviously we're not experts on the scientist science. I saw some thread on Let's Run and it was saying a quarter of people may not even respond to testosterone suppressing medication. You could make the argument, okay, this is fair. She's suppressing her testosterone. She should be allowed to compete as a woman, but okay. But you could also make, what if someone just said, I don't want to suppress my testosterone. I want to be a woman. And people say, well, that's not the case here. 
granted it's not, but some people could say, well, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm entitled to do. So like, I don't feel like there's any obligation to let anyone compete in women's sports and you can draw a line however you want. And I guess the NCAA said the rule is here, but I think most people really believe testosterone is a huge advantage. And so I think if we're going to make that the cutoff, there needs to be stringent regulations. The IWF has a cutoff of, of 10 nanometers or whatever it is. I think for Castor Semenya, right? I mean, it's a different thing. Intersex, her, it's five, right? For that, so that's a different cutoff, which is actually lower, unless I'm mixing up those numbers. I just think there's so much more that needs to be figured out. And I, I don't think necessarily that someone has an, a right to compete in elite sport in whatever gender they want to choose. Um, she's free to live her life as she wants to. I'm fine with them trying to let, let this work out and let transgender people compete as women. But I could easily see the argument saying, no, she's free to compete. She can p- compete how she was, but she's ineligible for prizes in this category. It's a protected class and you draw the line somewhere. So it's just sort of an interesting dynamic. And it came about, I think, much quicker than anybody thought. No one really outside of Montana knew this was happening. So it's pretty crazy. People have you know, speculated about this. And you know, others have noted, well, Renee Richards did this 40 years ago, and there's not a huge problem. And maybe you know, we're sort of overestimating the fear because people like this of what it's going to do and damage women's sports. I think people like to have a boogeyman, but you know, women's sport hasn't been ruined and there's been transgender people, but I think it's becoming more common. And then what if someone says, hey, well, the NCAA has a rule now, you have to suppress your testosterone, but what if someone says, like, I, I'm a woman, that's who I feel I am, I should be allowed to compete that way, but I don't want to alter my body chemically. Well, I think you, you, can't, you can't allow that to happen because then they would dominate if they are even moderately talented as a man you can't let you can't let them you just say you're free to live your life as you can but you can't you're just not entitled to compete as a woman that you're not granted that right i agree with that so i think if we're going to go there then i think there needs to be more stringent rules about independent verification and some sort of cutoff or threshold because i agree if she's people are like oh she's not doing this and i don't doubt her intentions at all but like let's say halfway through the season and she wants to like skip a couple pills. I don't know if it's that easy, but people sort of speculated that Semenya, when she was suppressing her testosterone, would do that to run well. So I think the NCA rule, it's, uh, I mean, I guess maybe I shouldn't use the word total joke, but it needs to be improved for sure. I think it's a joke. I think the, the current NCAA regulation is a joke. But yeah, I don't know. My My prediction on how this unfolds is I think I don't expect her to be dominating or crushing everyone i think she'll probably be a fairly average runner and she'll run a few races and then by the end of the season people won't be talking about her anymore but you better believe if she does start winning races it's going to be a huge national story right which is kind of interesting right very average runner but she's still a collegiate division one athlete and that means someone else gets bumped from the team or gets bumped from a travel spot or whatever if she, assuming she's in the top seven top five or whatever People also say, well, of course she's suppressing her testosterone. Well, in Connecticut, at least one of the sprinters wasn't at first suppressing her testosterone who's transgender. And that was a totally unfair advantage and it was allowed. Now, against the NCAA rules, that would not be allowed, but there's, she could suppress it just a tiny according to NCAA rules and get away with it. But all indications are, and people have seen some of her training logs and uh, online and posted it, her training sort of they're indicating, you know, she's not at the level to be a dominant force. In some ways, I think that's better, but then long-term, that might let the NCAA delay coming up with a better rule, which they need. All right, well then, well, I think that's about going to do it. Anything else you want to talk before we 
hit Diamond League finals and really, you know, finish up this track season before World. Yeah, one thing real quick. We talked about car wrecks and how Emmanuel Career was in a car wreck early this year. It was pretty serious. David Rudisha, we're glad you're still with us. He was in a big car wreck this week or last week. And Kenyon driving is crazy. You've been there, John. There's like dirt roads, potholes. People are going on the wrong side of the road. And a lot of Kenyan running stars have died this way. It's probably the easiest way to die in Kenya. So, I mean, this wreck looked pretty bad. And it just sort of shows there's a lot more important things than running, competing at a high level. We're glad he's still here. I mean, even this whole June Eastwood thing, let's hope she can find some happiness in her life and some stability because it sounds like she's a pretty dark place. Jeffrey Camboer won the Kenyan 10K trials. I don't think we mentioned he's skipping the worlds. It's a bummer, but I get it, right? And there's just way more money in the marathon. But he would have been a legend, right, if he could have that 10K track championship. I think that's one thing sort of missing on his resume. So long-term legacy, I would have loved to seen him to try the 10K at Worlds because the 10K seems pretty much wide open right now. Yeah, well, I don't know. I would have picked Sheptegai over him. But yeah, how many guys have run, have won a world title on the track, roads, and in cross-country? Has it ever been done? Uh, so that would have been pretty legendary if he could win the 10K at Worlds, but instead he's going to be focusing on New York City Marathon will try to reclaim the title he won in 2017. Yep, so somehow, no threads of the week this week. We'll have more of that, but next week we get to do this again. Diamond League final number two will be in Brussels, and we will have the wonderful Rojo back on the podcast. But I'm sure the ratings are up this week. Once again, right now, if you're still listening, five stars. Please give us a five-star rating. Also, i got to plug the Let'sRun.com shoe site. I assume all of you bought your shoes on the shoe site this past week. I have a pair of shoes right now. On my feet that I purchased off the Let's Run.com shoe site, I don't know if I should plug this shoe because it wasn't a sponsor in Let's Run, but I got a great pair of shoes on there. I went to Let's Run.com shoes, put in my shoe size, got a great deal. They're looking great. You can find a better pair of shoes at a better price on there. Check them out. We've received like, I'm not sure what the number is, but thousands of shoe reviews in the last month. And these are detailed shoe reviews, right? People say, oh, I got an Achilles problem with this shoe. Oh, I run high mileage. And this, I like this shoe the best. You can filter by what type of runner you are, everything out there. So check that out. Till next week, John, thank you. Our NFL preview actually show will be coming up next. John, the Cowboys are undefeated in the preseason. Good thing or bad thing? Irrelevant thing. Are they going to pay Dak Prescott? Are they going to pay Zeke Elliott? Those are the big questions, Weldon. Special subscribers next hour two or hour three NFL preview. Also, we will have to discuss Crystal Palace's big victory over Manchester United. All right, all right, let's cut this thing off. All right, later, guys.